We're at the end of the third chapter of Mark. Now, generally, there are certain times in all of our lives when nobody's allowed to interrupt us. For example, if I'm counseling, if I'm uh, uh, engaged in some sort of hospital visitation, there are just certain times that I don't take phone calls and nobody is allowed to interrupt except for one thing. There's nearly always an exception made for an urgent family phone call. If I have a call from my daughter, she's traveling some sort of issue, I may look at somebody and say, look, it's my daughter calling. There's, I, I know there's a trouble. She wants, she needs to talk to me. Nearly anybody will go, hey, not a problem. It's okay. I understand. Because there's something about family and urgency that join together and take priority over virtually everything. And before we look at the text, we need to reset Because Mark puts everything in a particular context. It's not just a biography time-wise of Jesus. He's picked particular stories out, and he stuck them together, and this is no different. You remember, we're in a big room, big house, but there are so many people in there, and it's just crammed so close that they can't even eat. And Jesus is involved again, as he always is, in three things. He's healing some, he's casting out demons, and he's teaching about who he is. Now, in the room, as we saw last week, there are some people that have been healed, some people that have been exercised, some people, obviously, from the text we're fixing to see, that have come to believe in who he says he is. There are others in the room that are seeking help, they're struggling, and so there's this massive crowd, nobody can even eat. And all of a sudden, there's a little commotion over here, and you turn, and in comes what, unfortunately, we have kind of a bias against because we've read the Bible, and so the Jewish leadership comes in, and we have this bias where, oh, man, these people are nuts, because that's the viewpoint of the Scripture. But if you're living in that day and you're in that room, that's not what you think. Two things about these people. They're feared and they're revered. They're revered because they're the best Bible scholars of your day. They're the TV preachers of your day. Well, that doesn't go hand-in-hand, Bible scholar and TV preacher. Let me forego that connection. Uh But these are the best, and everybody trusts them, and they fear them because these guys have enormous power over your life. They kick you out of the synagogue, you're out. And if you're out of the synagogue, you're disenfranchised from everything Jewish, and the Romans don't like you, so you have nowhere to go. So these guys are feared and revered. They come into the room, and they look at the crowd, and they say, look, we know how he's kicking demons out. He's kicking demons out. Because he is filled with a prince of demons. And that's how he's kicking them out. Because demons always obey Satan, and he's filled with Satan, and that's why they do what he says. So we're telling you, you need to understand that. Now, if you're in this room, that's plausible. And so they kind of turn and look at Jesus, and Jesus gives his response. He says, look, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's not even logical. Satan's whole goal in his kingdom is to take you over, to possess you, to control you. He would never kick himself out of his own kingdom. And so now, you're in the room. You got a guy that you've seen him heal people. You've seen him kick demons out. And what he said seems to fit 
But now you got people in the room that you've revered and feared all your life. And they're saying, no, 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 no. He is not who he says he is. So now you're at this point in the room where you face an orchestrated by the Holy Spirit decision of, do I believe what they say about Jesus or do I believe what he says about himself? About the time you're making that decision, one more little commotion begins to filter through the crowd. It's kind of like the Sunday here. I don't remember when it was several years ago, but I'm preaching, and all of a sudden, people start popping up and leaving. And I don't mean two or three. I mean 10 or 20 or 30 or 40. And they're just leaving group by group and heading out. Now, if you're a preacher and you're in the middle of your sermon and 40 or 50 people are packing out the doors, the first thing, I'm just telling you, I'm just being as honest as I can be, first thing in your mind is, what the heck did I just say? Because apparently it wasn't good. And then all of a sudden, they all start coming back in, and what happened is in the preschool, somebody pushed the wrong button, and all the pagers had gone off at the same time. <laughs> so, never a good moment in a preacher's life. You never, again, trust the preschool people. But, but you love them because they have the kids. It's kind of that way in the room. They're at this point of sort of decision, and now there's a ripple coming through the room because... Jesus' mother and brothers are outside. They can't get in because nobody's letting them in. you got to love these people. Nobody's letting the family in. So they've sent word, and so word's kind of filtering through, and it finally gets to where Jesus is. Now watch and listen to the text. And his mother came and his brothers, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. They're outside. They cannot get in. So they send word in, and now it filters through, and here it is. And a crowd was sitting around him, and he said to them, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they seek you. So here's a group sitting around him, right? Big room, crowded, can't move. Everybody's quiet because you're kind of at this quandary of a decision. Do I believe these guys or believe Jesus? And right at that moment, all of a sudden now another thing happens, and they look at Jesus and say, Look, your family's outside. How do we know it's urgent? Because this is a small fishing community. They know who's in the town, and this family doesn't live here. So they know. If the whole family is here, the mother and the brothers, and they're here and they don't live here, then obviously we have a family emergency. And so what you would you expect Jesus to do? Go, hey, thanks. Let's take a break here. I'll come back in. We'll finish the PowerPoint in a minute. Let me go out and talk to them. But in fact, it's not what he does. Look at this. And Jesus answered and said to them, Who is my mother and my brothers? Now, come on. I know we're all spiritual. But does that question make sense right there at that moment? You just told him, your mom and your brothers are outside. Your family is outside. He says, well, who is my family? Well, there are the people outside. <laughs> and if you're not sure about that, I'm not sure. We should be in here listening to you. Looking around 
those who were sitting encircling him. He said, behold, my mother and my brothers. And here's what he does. He's in this compact room. They bring the message to him, your family's outside, it's urgent. He looks around at all the people sitting around and he says, who is my mother and my brother? And then he looks at them and he says, behold, my mother and my brothers. In other words, behold, my family. And then here's what he says. Whoever should do the will of my of, of God, whoever should do the will of God, this is my brother and sister and mother. Now, he's just, and I know this is hard, he just disowned his family. I don't have a mother. I don't have any brothers. You are my mother and my brothers. You are my family if you do the will of God. Obvious question is, what in the world is doing the will of God? What's the decision they face? They believe what they say about Jesus or they believe what Jesus says about Jesus. Whichever way you believe, that is doing the will of God. Now, that's the whole point in Mark. Now, you stay in Mark because we're going to come back here, but I want you to listen to John chapter 6, verse 40. Now, listen to this. Jesus speaking says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him has life everlasting, and I will raise him on the last day. Now, here's what he says. He says, if you see, behold me, you see me, and you believe in me. In other words, in what? In what I say about myself, not what they say, that I will raise you at the last day and you will see an eternal life. That is exactly what he's saying here. You're not part of my family if you don't believe what I say about myself. As a matter of fact, he told them last week, he said, look, if you don't believe what I say about myself, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit if you believe what they say, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you will not be forgiven. If you believe what I say about myself, you do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you will die absolutely, completely forgiven. There it is. And he looks at Mary and his brothers and he says, you are not my family. These people are. Why does he say that about them? You're telling me they don't believe in him? They don't believe in him at all. What did we see a couple weeks ago? Why are they there? Because they think he's insane. That's what the text says. And being the mother, she thinks what all moms think. They've, they've never seen anything like this. He didn't grow up in the, in the, in the schoolyard, and when a buddy fell out and broke his arm, he went over and said, hey, let me fix that. He didn't do that. He didn't kick any demons out of any 12-year-olds. And he didn't run around the playground saying, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He didn't do that. So when these things start coming out, even though Mary knows he's not hers, 
And even though she knows there's something radically distinct about him, this is just too much for her. And she gets the boys and goes to get him because she believes he's lost his mind. And what she thinks is, if I can just get him home, sit him down, hold him, love him, let him relax. She thinks what every mother thinks, I can fix him. Because obviously what he thinks about himself and what he's doing is a sign that his mind is gone. She does not believe what he says about himself, and therefore she is not part of the family. Let me be clear here. She's not a perpetual virgin. She's not sinless. She did not ascend into heaven bodily, and she didn't have a glow over her when she was sitting here. Jesus Christ disowned his mother and his brothers for one reason. It's the same reason he will disown you, unless you believe what he says about himself. Matter of fact, a couple things here that we need to be clear about, okay? Number one, obviously, now listen to me carefully today. This is not going to be pleasant, but we need to work through this. Obviously, it's not how much you even love Jesus and do things for him that get you into heaven. It's whether or not you believe who he says he is. There's nobody in this room, no matter what you do from this day forward, that you can possibly equal what Mary did for Jesus. She touched him in three ways. You can't touch him. Number one, she took care of him physically. She cleaned his diapers. When he was dirty, she bathed him. Cold, she made him comfortable. She made him warm. When he was hot, she did everything to cool him down. She took care of him physically. You can't do that. She took care of him emotionally. You don't think she rocked him to sleep at night? You don't think when they walked down the street that she held his hand and, and he felt the warmth of his mother's touch as he walked down the street emotionally? You're telling me they didn't do that? Absolutely they did that. He felt that. He knew his mother loved him. And she taught him biblical truth. You don't think as he grew up she said we serve one God? Now, we don't know when in the world it registered with him what all that meant for him. At least he knows it by age 12. But as he grows up, she teaches him biblical truth. You don't teach God. You don't emotionally help God. And you don't physically do anything for a spiritual being. You can't possibly equal what she did for Jesus Christ, and yet when she refused to believe, he disowned his own mother's love. It's not about how much you're in church, how much you know that Bible, how many times you go through that water. It's not about any of that. It is about one thing. There is one thing that qualifies you for heaven, and that is when you believe what Jesus says about himself. That is it. And as a result of that, we're going to look in a minute, it will alter your life, but you don't get to heaven 
because you serve Jesus, you get to heaven because you believe what Jesus says about who he is. Number two. Just because you're in the family doesn't mean you got it. His brothers are his brothers. And he disowns them. You know, inevitably when I meet new people, one of the first things I ask, sometimes out of curiosity, but also because I kind of want to probe, is I'll ask, tell me about when you got saved. Now, this is the answer I always ache over. Not always sure how to respond because I'm not really sure what is meant, but this is the answer that always causes me to hurt. Is when someone says to me, well, you know, preacher, uh, I've kind of always been a believer. Always been at a point where I just grew up in a Christian home and I've always known Jesus. I just really never know a time when I didn't know him. Listen to me. You don't go to heaven because of what your family believes. You go to heaven when what your family believes becomes your belief. And that has to occur. There has to be some moment where their faith becomes your faith, where you understand you're a sinner and you come to Jesus Christ. I don't care if you know the date. I don't remember the date. I don't remember the hour. I don't remember. The, I, I, I barely remember anything except the moment. But I will tell you this. There has to be a moment. Matter of fact, it occurs in this family. Because the mother and the brothers that he disowns will appear in the book of Acts saved. Because at some point, this mother and brothers come to understand, okay, he is who he says he is, and they buy into it. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says, after the resurrection, that one of the people Jesus appeared to was one of his brothers named James. James will do two things. He will become the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, and he will write the book of James that you have in your Bible. Both things because he believed in who Jesus was. He made a conscious decision after he saw him in the resurrection. You can't go to heaven because your family believed in Jesus. You have to make that decision yourself. So there it is. You say, well, preacher, and this really is the key question, and, and I would agree with this, because the key question is, how do I know, really, whether or not I have that faith? This is going to be difficult, but let me be as honest as I can be today. I want you to listen. And I'm almost done, but I want you to listen to what Jesus said before he died. I'm mean, not before he died, before we went home. This is the commandment this church has, and here's what he says. When you go out, disciple all the nations, and he says two things involve discipleship. Two things mark a believer. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep everything I've commanded you. Two things. 
Oh, you're telling me then that I got to be baptized to be saved? No. Which is odd from a Baptist, but no. What I'm saying, and the reason I don't think that, is because we've made baptism a private celebration. We do it in front of our church, in front of believers. And that day, it was done in the street corner. They had all these pools inside the cities, and you would walk by, and you'd go into work, or you're going to your place, and all of a sudden, there's a guy being baptized, put under the water, and pulled out of you. One of your first questions is, what in the world is he doing? And when, they, when the statement was made, well, he's following Jesus, he came out of the water. Listen, baptism isn't really going through that little down, those steps in that water and back up the other steps. That is not baptism. Baptism is simply put this, that you are not ashamed publicly of who your Savior is. If you are ashamed of your Savior, and you don't really want people to know who your Savior is, then you don't really believe. I read a story the other day. I don't remember the details of when it occurred, but there were several Navy SEALs in a firefight. And I believe they were inside a house, and they were checking out rooms, and all of a sudden a grenade came down the stairs, and before anybody could move, an enlisted guy, a non-seal who's fighting with him, jumps on the grenade, and, of course, he absorbs the explosion, and he dies. And all the seals are saved. So on the day that they're having his funeral, and they're carrying the casket from the hearse to the, to the hole where they're going to put it in the ground, you heard this. A few more steps. Bam! A few more steps. What was happening is all the Navy SEALs had lined the way. And as the casket came by, they stood out, took their trident, the mark of a Navy SEAL, put it on the casket, and then slammed it into the casket, stepped back, and saluted it. Be clear. That was an heroic thing. It doesn't touch that cross of our Savior. And if you believe in who he is and who he said he was, you will never be embarrassed in a public court of who your Savior is. Second thing, he said, you do what I command. Saying, preacher, that now that I'm a Christian, I'm not going to sin. <sighs> no. But I'll tell you the difference. When you believe in Jesus, you're still going to fail. You're still going to make mistakes. But when you believe in Jesus, you don't like it. If you like it and it doesn't bother you, then you don't really believe in Jesus. So understand today. I'm going to heaven. You say, that's a pretty arrogant statement. No. I'm going to heaven in spite of who I am and in spite of what I am. I'm going to heaven because I believe Jesus is everything he said he was. And if you believe that, he said he would raise you in the last day. If you don't believe that, 
doesn't matter what you think you do. You miss all he has. Let's pray. Father, if there's anybody in this room, college student, adult, child, youth, that is not really believed in your son. Don't let them leave today without your Holy Spirit telling them that. Make that clear. Make that concise. Thank you for dying for us and being resurrected and coming back. And we await that moment. In Jesus Christ's name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you have never met Jesus Christ, then today's the perfect day to find him. God's calling you to join this church. You have met him, but you feel led to be a part of this church as God speaks to your heart this morning. You come.